let's uh, start at the beginning then. Um, the Wolfsburg game. How did you think United stacked up against Wolfsburg? Little Mickey Owen with a hat trick. Oh, didums. Yeah, yeah, it was a bizarre game, wasn't it? It really was. I mean, from the team selection, three midfielders in the back four, or back, back three, I should say, uh, through to the tactics. Um, don't remember the last time Fergie played three at the back, if ever. Um, and, and just a, a really good performance. I mean, it's obviously a team performance. Um, they rode the luck a little bit. Like, yeah, I think Wolfsburg could have scored a couple in the first 20 minutes, and then we'd be talking about something very different, wouldn't we? Um but in the end, they came through, uh, played on the break. Um, I just thought it was really funny. Um, uh, Fletcher and uh, Carrick sort of passing their way out of uh, tricky situations. You know, Zeko, good player as he is, uh, had this sort of look of surprise as they uh, moved in triangles around him all the time. <laughs> yeah, it, it could start a whole new trend, couldn't it? Of, of uh, central midfielders playing in central defence and changing changing the whole nature of the game. Uh, it's really interesting actually to to watch their kind of strengths and weaknesses out of position because Michael Carrick obviously like reads the game brilliantly, so his positioning was pretty good and and his use of the ball was terrific. But you could see him like they just didn't want that ball flying in in the air to the big lad, did they? No, and uh, he got horribly out of position for Zeko's goal. Yeah, as you'd kind of expect the ball that. Defender should never allow the ball to drop over his head like that. But there you go. Um, to be expected, I, th- I think uh, that was just a miraculous result in the end. Um, not what I was expecting beforehand, I have to say. No, I think we put the rant cast whereby we'd predicted the result and how the game would go up after the game came had been played and was remarkably different from what we said it would be. Yeah, uh, professional broadcasting here at Rand HQ. A- another fine performance from New Easter Island head. I, I, yeah, he was excellent. I mean, just a beautiful piece of skill for Owen's second goal. Uh, he, he's looking better and more confident by the week. Uh, uh, we'll come on to the Wolves game shortly, but I, I thought he had a... You know, it was really good that he had his first start uh, against Wolves, and but, yeah, really good against Wolfsburg. Uh, he's obviously got some talent. He's got bags of pace. Um, he's, you know, he shows maturity well over and above um, Nani. And, you know, this is, he's, what's he had? Five or six games in the Premier League so far, so all in, in English football. So, yeah, I, I think Alex Ferguson's got to be delighted with that. Three million pounds, absolute bargain. It's interesting because you wonder sort of um, where he was, you know, why, why no one's kind of snapped him up before. Because he's obviously, I mean, Ferguson obviously thinks he's genuinely kind of at the top level, kind of can play at that very top level. Right. Well, so at 16, they've been tracking him since, you know, his teens. Uh, they believed he was the the best sixteen year old on the planet, basically. Right. Um, and uh, he's had yeah a few injuries, uh, including this spinal injury that he turned up at Old Trafford. And I think actually they bought him on a punt because he spent six months um, at a you know, Lorient, which is a you know a small to middling you know, League One side in France, and didn't do particularly well. Um, no one really thought he was going to make it at Bordeaux, who are of course an excellent side under Laurent Blanc. And uh, I, I think United have just bought him just on the talent, and uh, they've said we're going to fix whatever's wrong with him, and uh, we'll take a chance on three million pounds. And there you go. It looks like they're going to come up trumps on that one. It's um it's definitely looking promising. Oh, it's all in all a very competent performance against Wolfsburg. They they flattered to deceive a bit. I thought Wolfsburg in the Champions League this season, they definitely got something about them. But it, they just they they, I don't know. It's weird to say they lack cutting edge because obviously they got a lot of 
goal-scoring threat in their side. But they, they just, I don't know, they, they left. I suppose they just got somewhat disheartened, didn't they, by the way the way the game went? Look, the, the Graffite, Zeko and uh, Misimovic are, are clearly three good players, aren't they? I, yeah. I think through the centre of the park, they, they just didn't show enough in the two games against United. I mean, I haven't seen tons of Wolfsburg, uh, Wolfsburg's games over the years. Um but, you know, just having a look at them in the Champions League, they, they're just a little bit lightweight um, in comparison to some sides we've seen in Germany in the past. So, uh, talking of teams that aren't that lightweight, no, that's a terrible. There's no segue to be made here. We lost against Aston Villa, Ed. I, I wasn't happy, were you? John Carew, he's not that lightweight. He should cut down on the pork life. Um, no, I, I wasn't happy about it. It was, it was really odd performance because in the second half, United had so much of the ball, I mean, 70% possession, and they created, you know, a decent amount of chances, uh, but just couldn't put it away. I mean, good defensive performance by Villa. And, and clearly, Villa are a good side, but um, I, I just, I'm not sure they're, they'll break into the top four. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, I guess. Um, I mean, I guess they're helped by the fact that, um, you know, Tottenham and City and Liverpool are all, you know, pretty mediocre. So yeah, maybe they can do it. Um, to come to Old Trafford and park the bus as a side, um, hoping for Champions League football, that was a, that was a bit of a shame. But they, hey, they got their win. And I think I uh, think that's a really, I I think that's a bit disingenuous, really. I mean, not disingenuous, but I I think that that's a complete kind of myth because actually, if you're trying to get into the Champions League, you're trying to play the get as many points as possible and with the talent available to Villa the most effective way to play against that somewhat weakened Manchester United side was not to kind of rampantly attack and leave holes at the back where United's good players in form could kind of attack you whereas if you kind of very solid at the back and exploit the fact that United are definitely weak in the back four I, I, I think that's exactly the way a team trying to break in the top four should play against United to be honest yeah and, and Martin O'Neill's a, a, you know, a superb organiser clearly um, and he got you know, he got Villa the result with the, the right tactics at the right time there, there you go I, I think we've spoken about this many many times haven't we sometimes in those tough games with teams that are strong defensively United just struggle a little bit because yeah. we haven't got the firepower of you know or we haven't got, altern- we haven't got plan B sometimes I think I mean, is Owen plan B? Yeah, so I he's don't know. Owen's Owen's some sort of I don't know plan A subsection four. You know what I mean? It's 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 a variation on a theme, isn't it? It's although you know he has worked very to some destructive effect a few times as a kind of plan B player against City, for example. And that was that that was that was that plan B alternative. That just that absolute moment of magic that turned something. You know. Um, and he, he was he was pretty effective against Wolfsburg, wasn't he? Although I'm like, he wasn't like he scored a hat trick. Wasn't like he had a he played brilliantly, was it? You know, he didn't have like an absolutely outstanding game against Wolfsburg or anything. But he just took his chances well, did did the simple things well, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, you you don't really expect Michael Owen to be involved in the game. You want him to put away the chances. Yeah. Um, and and, that, and that's what he did against Wolfsburg. Yeah. Yeah, it's not what he's done in every match this season he's played. But there you go. His um his minutes on the pitch to to goals scored is 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 outstanding. Yeah. Um, so um, they, that's that's what we wanted from him. And um, I mean, before the Villa game, I I have to say I wasn't overly confident and to think right. This is this is Villa are not the team that you want to face with a weakened back four essentially. Especially when you didn't realise Vidic was going to play, and you were thinking that there might be a kind of lack of physical presence. And obviously the Villa are very 
Junkaroo and Pongnahore is, is a very complicated physical threat to deal with because you have that huge strength and that kind of pace and power, you know, mixed together. One chap really big and the other chap really speedy. It's not it's not easy for centre-halves, is it? So, uh, in Milner and, and uh, Ashley Young, they've got running from midfield, and uh, Bonglahore and Carew and Heskey, if he ever plays, they, they've got physicality, so... Uh, they, they look. They're clearly uh, plen- plenty of good players there, and they're, they're a good side. So the response of their fans was pretty hilarious at the end of the match as well. Just like they haven't won at Old Trafford for such a long time, it w- really genuinely was like they'd I don't know won a major trophy. There was just absolute outpouring of joy from the away supporters that day. Yeah, I suppose it was their cup final, wasn't it? And <laughs> um, you mentioned you said a team trying to break into the top four. At the moment, I, I think it's you almost can't describe it like that because there really isn't a top four. There's a top three and a, an open spot because, you know, there's there's no way that Liverpool look kind of any better placed than Tottenham or Villa to get fourth. Um, they don't, yeah. Um, on form, they're really not. Uh, so, yeah, it'll, it, it'll, uh, it'll be a close run thing, I think. Um, I guess it will depend on the January transfer window. I mean, Benitez might have some money to spend. You don't really expect Villa to spend any and Spurs can't spend without selling first. But even if Liverpool do spend, what's the guarantee that Benitez will spend impactfully? You know, Well, he hasn't done so far, has he? Um, Aquilani, uh, I mean, he looks a nice touch player, doesn't he, in the, the few minutes he's had so far? <laughs> and it certainly was the evidence of his time in Italy. Um, but this is a player who plays in 34% of potential gains that's his record over the last five years so he's been injured for a long time he'll probably get injured again um and i just don't know whether he's the the kind of quarterback alonzo type player he's uh looks like a classic number 10 well he uh, is absolutely I mean, he's, he's not a quarterback at all he is very much a, a number 10 football manager 2010 would not describe him as a deep lying playmaker you know in the way that alonzo would be no but it looks like uh Benitez is going to try and deploy him there because otherwise he's got to shift gerard out to the right wing and I'm not sure he wants to do that either no because then Gerard will leave in the summer and Fernando Torres will leave and Liverpool will be Blackburn Rovers we can hope more on making fun of Liverpool when it comes to the Champions League draw discussion later in the programme for now let's move to slightly happier league fixtures and uh, I think there'll be a new chant ringing out uh, ringing out of the Stretford end Mick McCarthy is a red is a red is a red Mick McCarthy is a red he hates Chelsea what, why did uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers play their second team against Manchester United on Saturday yeah, I, I have to say I, I, I mixed feelings about this one because I, I think the reaction in the papers and uh, amongst the general football public is, has been coloured by a dislike of United right and um, uh, I, I think you don't get this reaction when for example Arsene Wenger fielded a reserve side against Olympiacos in the Champions League um, final group game a match that was at Absolutely crucial to Standard Liège's hopes of getting through. Uh, in the end, they lost, um, and so it didn't matter. But still, um, Arsenal went to Olympiacos, lost with a reserve side, and they were called British Lions in the Sun uh, and lauded for you know having this uh, team of average age 21. So there's some definite double standards here. But uh, having said all that. I'm really worried about the integrity of a competition. If a if a side in the bottom part of the table goes to a leading side and says, "Actually, we can't compete, so we're not going to bother trying." Um, yeah, what what's the point? What's the point if uh, if say the bottom six or seven sides just thought, um, 
actually we're, we're going to rate all these games and we're going to pick out the ones we expect to lose uh, pick out the ones that are absolute must wins against our rivals down at the bottom and pick out the ones that we hope to get something out of and start ranking them and go you know what we haven't got a chance away at Old Trafford Anfield uh, White Hart Lane Villa Park and Stamford Bridge so we're going to send the kids along to those games play our you know, better team in the, the fix against our rivals I mean where's the integrity in the competition if everyone starts doing that yeah and then you get the situation where because the premiership is I mean, the Premiership is kind of five leagues, basically. You have a group of people fighting for relegation, and you have a group of people comfortably mid-table, then you have the people battling for UEFA Cup spots, then you have the people battling for the Champions League, then you have the people battling for the Championship. That's those. That's kind of how it breaks down, and teams kind of get promoted and relegated from those different subsections of the league on a season-by-season basis. And if people do start measuring it in that way, then the, the kind of potential subdivisions are ridiculous. You'll get the situation where Everton are basically only playing their full-strength team against Tottenham and Aston Villa and you know what I mean it's 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 crazy and and in one hand on one hand it seems that it's an incredibly professional decision from McCarthy because realistically probably can't beat United and they absolutely have to get a result against Burnley at home that's a it's an enormous game for Wolves you know but then you think on the back of a fantastic 1-0 win away at Spurs United have just been beaten by Tottenham they're far from a full strength side isn't it doesn't it show a pretty significant lack of ambition as well as anything else to to not not take your first team to play united huge lack of ambition it's pretty insulting for their fans and you can kind of understand the reaction i mean they paid a lot of money to go uh, and they've just got the reserve side Uh, i mean of course mccarthy's not gonna you know reveal publicly hours beforehand what he's about to do but yeah i'd I'd be annoyed if i was a fan and it's pretty concerning i i do think the premier league should do something about it the the problem is it smacks the tokenism now because they've done nothing when and you know the risk of being accused of uh, hypocrisy United have done this before last season we did it last season against Hull I mean the the difference being um, that uh, our reserve side's better than Hull well that's true but it's still very significant in terms of the competition because our reserve side is less better than our, than Hull's first team than our first team is, you know, so it, it, that we're more likely to lose with the reserve side, you know, because the difference is, is much less, is much less of a golfing class. And and the it's incredibly bad for the product of the Premier League because as it is, there are only a few genuinely kind of really exciting games in the Premiership in a season. But when you start having this situation where smaller clubs just essentially expect to lose to the bigger clubs don't even try incredibly damaging for the Premier League as a business so yeah, just right. from just from that perspective they probably have to do something and and you know it does seem to me that it's pretty clearly in contravention of the Premier League rules to do that because you can say yes all these players have played in our first team but when not forced to by injury there's very little excuse for playing three left backs in the same side right yeah um, I, I think it's a, it's a very worrying thing um, unfortunately there has been a precedent beforehand so I'm not quite sure what the, uh, the FA can do about this I mean they, they've asked Wolves to, to explain their, their, what they're doing and McCarthy's just going to say what he's done in the, said in the media you know I my players were tired I needed to rest them yeah this, this was my first team uh, you know I, I don't believe he's he's been quite truthful there 
he didn't expect to win. He thought, well, we've been up here, you know, a month and a bit ago in the Carling Cup. We played their kids. We got beaten. We haven't got a chance against the first team. So we're just going to put everything into our game against Burnley, which is, you know, in every sense of the word, I suppose, a six-pointer, um, and which they have to win, even at this stage of the season. And, and uh, it's just it's really worrying for the competition. I, I hope I don't see it again. But a precedent's been set now, and it might it might happen now. You know, there's no special circumstances here. It's in the middle of the season, and he's just rested the entire team. Well, the only the only special circumstance is the arrangement of fixtures. You know, that's it's 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 only that they've got a kind of effective six pointer coming up the next less than a week in advance. And when your when your team is not playing in the Champions League, that kind of two matches a week cycle, I think, is is difficult for players because their their fitness isn't built around that cycle i don't know i think players are pretty used to playing two matches a week hey most of these players in the wolves side played in the championship last season and so in the championship as, as well as playing in the cup competitions they play 46 games hey it's tough down in championship well yeah there you go that that's wolves um United uh, play Fulham at the weekend and um, to, to get on to our you know, preview of the weekend's matches um, that's going to be a tough side as well Fulham are a, a pretty good side these days I, I guess they're not um, helped this season by having to play on Thursday nights in the UEFA Cup I, I think their fixture was actually on uh, Wednesday night this week because there was no Champions League football um, and Roy Hodgson's built a, a side that plays some nice football in the right way I've heard that Rafa's going to ring him up for some advice on how to cope with the Thursday night matches there's the side on Channel 5. <laughs> um, it's definitely going to be a tough game. It's it, it's they're, they're a better team to face with the particular problems that United have got than Villa are because they 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 don't have the same strengths. They I think their their strengths are less suited to beating Manchester United than they are to kind of maintaining their position kind of as a kind of growing force and beating some of the the lesser teams in the league, you know. I, I think that was a diplomatic way of saying Bobby Zamora's shit. <laughs> no, he just, he's not rubbish. He's just a bit goal-scoringly challenged. Yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, uh, so United are a better side than Fulham. They're, they're a better side than Fulham by a margin greater than they're a better side than Aston Villa, right? Well, it's not just that. It's they're a better side in a way which is, you know, at the moment, I think Aston Villa is a team that we're particularly vulnerable to that kind of team. Right. Uh, Fulham will open up. I mean, it, it, they're at home. They're not going to sit behind the ball, are they? Um, they play nice football. They're fairly open as a side anyway. They don't have a, a lot of destroyers. They're not big up top. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I get that. I think it's, it's the type of side that we can cope with, uh, potentially again without all our central defenders. I mean, Vidic may or may not play. It looks like he won't. So Carrick will certainly play at the back and he might have to play with Richie Delate. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I really hope that Berbatov plays because if he does, I think he's going to score a lot. Of go- I think it's going to be Dimitar Berbatov weekend. I know, I know I sort of say that every week, but I particularly believe it this week. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, lovely ball to set up uh, Valencia for the third goal on Wednesday night, wasn't it? I, I love Dimitar Berbatov, Ed. I've no, made no secrets about it. And talking of players that I love with all of my heart and I've made no secrets about it, can we talk a little bit about the heroic and wonderful, soon to be knighted, surely, nearly Sir Ryan Giggs? We run out of things to say about this man, don't we? I mean, not only is he a thoroughly nice bloke, um, but he's the PFA Players Player of the Year. He's now BBC Sports Personality of the Year. 
he's going to be he's contracted to United to be through his uh, 20th anniversary in the first team with a new contract that was announced today uh, to take him through to June 2011 he's won more Premier League titles uh, than any other player he's won more British championships and cups and stuff than any other player he has four FA Cups three League Cups two European Cups and a European Cup final and there's nothing wrong with his record at all and and uh, you know he's an idol to millions he um a a perfect role model uh you know i'm sure his you know, girlfriend is you know beautiful and he has a lovely house and he has great taste and uh you, there you go he's you know next to god amongst men uh, yeah he's pretty good at football as well isn't he he is he is and and hey he's got the humility to go with it as well i aside from having prepared a few words i'm, I'm sure his pr dude uh, needed to do that but um he he he's in genuinely shocked at the the BBC award, and uh, I thought it was just really nice for him. It was fantastic. That's that acceptance speech. That's the other thing. It's like not only not only did has he got all those accolades that you just lifted listed, but also one of the best acceptance speeches for anything I've ever seen. Just genuinely humble, genuinely kind of honoured um, for a Manchester United player to be voted by the British public not the biggest fans of Manchester United you could see he was an enormously popular winner in the room uh, it was really funny when he said you know um, I've played under the greatest manager huge round of applause and then he said kind of slightly cheekily for the greatest club loads of boos and cheer you know it was kind of good hearted you know at, at that point but like just the amount of respect in the sporting world for Ryan Giggs is, it was very evident and you know to be honest he should have been sports personality of the year every year for a few years um, but he definitely deserves it this season because he's you know apart from his outstanding recent performances the fact that he was PFA player of the year the fact that as you said when we were talking about it earlier won you know the premiership the Carling Cup Champions League final world club champions all in the the past season and he's just an absolute honour to sport you know at a time when sport's biggest stars are kind of on the front pages for all the wrong reasons Ryan Giggs genuinely seems to be a, a fine all round individual he is um, and a lot of the credit goes to Fergie for managing him properly I mean you, you, it's, it's remember back when um, Giggs first came into the side and Ferguson banned him from having me do interviews and it was to keep his feet on the ground absolutely and he followed him around and he turned up at parties and, and all of that and um and, you know and now we have a this sort of consummate professional who keeps himself trim still bombing up and down the wing for 90 minutes at 36 it's incredible it is and and this this is a player who is so good he's made sir alex ferguson make a slightly sentimental contract decision because you, you know what i mean i mean i know ryan giggs is unbelievably fit but sir alex ferguson does not allow many 36 year olds to get a two-year contract extension yeah well 18 months 18 but, months um, but still you know i mean he wouldn't let terry teddy sheringham have two years would he and that's why he left I, look, it's, it's well deserved that. I mean, he can carry on playing like this for a long time. He'll play till he's 40. Why not? Um, well, one thing I did want to note, though, and it just kind of annoyed me, is some of the media reaction to this. And you, you kind of expect the fans around on the internet chat boards and all of that to say, oh, he didn't deserve it. They did exactly the same thing when he, Giggs was voted PFA Player of the Year last year. And got kind of the same media reaction, too. Two pieces really annoyed me, though. There's one in The Times 
uh, which basically said, you know, this wasn't fair. He only played 15 times last year. Buttons won the world championship. Uh, this was the wrong decision. Well, you know, hang on a minute. Uh, Giggs played 47 times last year, won all those trophies you've already mentioned, had a wonderful season as well as a wonderful career. Button has had a career of mediocrity. Uh, yeah, and he lucked out on a car in um, a season of massive technological change where only one team actually got it right for half the season. When everyone else had caught up, he was nowhere. So for me, you know, uh, he won that championship by default. I'm no F1 expert, but um, he was out of it for me. And I don't think there were a lot of other outstanding choices. Um, David Hayes, pretty good choice, but play. Did you see the bloke he beat? <laughs> he beat actual even Drago from Rocky Four. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, no, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that that was a wonderful achievement, clearly. Um, but uh, hey, that's look. It's not to put down uh, Giggs's competitors. I, I, my, my problem was with the media action. I, I just don't. I just don't think it, it was. Uh, I don't think it was very respectful, actually. And also, the other, the, a... the other one I, I had a problem with is Derek McGovern in the mirror and I have a problem with him every week anyway because he's a open Liverpool supporter who has a national newspaper um, as a mouthpiece for his ranting and he, he admitted this week that uh, not only had been betting against United and you know seriously there ought to be some rules against this um, but um, he, he was now going to use his column to you know, blast United in every way he possibly can because he'd lost this bet. Uh, I, you know, I, I have no respect for the man because, uh, well, A, he has very little intelligence. He, he can't even string a sentence together. And B, uh, you know, his vitriol shouldn't be in a media outlet. And whatever you think of the mirror, it's a long history as a newspaper. And uh, I think the publishers should have more respect than to have a man like that on their staff. I mean, I, I'm, forgive my ignorance, is he a sports journalist on their staff rather than a kind of hilarious celebrity columnist? Well, he's a sports journalist. So he does the betting column and some other opinionated why, rubbish. Why should there be a rule against him talking about what he bets on? Well, there probably shouldn't. There should just be a rule against him. <laughs> All right, sorry for saying I got confused there for a second. I thought you were being entirely serious. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, I don't know. I... I I, I have a lot of sympathy for what you're saying, but I think I have maybe lesser expectations of the media. Ironically, given its relative importance in society, actually sport has some of the best journalism out there still. Like the Guardian's football pages, just they're just phenomenal, basically. They're incredibly thoughtful and well-researched. You might disagree with some opinions or whatever, but they're generally presented as opinions to be disagreed with. And like... Actually, sport gets better coverage than politics. It gets better coverage than climate change convention. You know what I mean? There's brilliant writing about sport in the media. But also, there's a lot of nonsense. And he's a tabloid betting columnist, you know. Of course, he's having a kind of hook, like, oh, I'm the bloke that really hates Manchester United. It's a way to build a career and, and build notoriety, isn't it? And sell papers, yeah. yeah and, so. and, uh, and and the online column probably gets loads of traffic, but, you know, simply because people, you know, hate what he's writing or love what he's writing yeah yeah fair fair enough i think uh as a, and actually it was, it was good this week he he outed himself as a as a united hater i mean at least you've got the right context there than rather than pretending to be an independent journalist think... doing journalism he's a non-independent opinionist doing opinion opinionism yeah <laughs> um yeah anyway the tabloid press in england will always be rubbish you know there's, there's just no two ways about that um but yeah it's it, it it's snidey to say that ryan giggs shouldn't win the sports personality of the year it's like 
I mean, honestly, could anything be less important to get knickers in a twist about than who wins the sports personality of the Oh, he hasn't done enough this year. So what if it's a Lifetime Achievement Award? If anyone deserves a Sports Personality of the Year as Lifetime Achievement Award, it's Sir Ryan Gig. Uh, that can't come soon enough, can it? No, it, it will. It's coming. And, and the one really good thing about the Sports Personality of the Year is it just brings the knighthood that one step closer. Uh, talking of one step closer, Manchester United are one step closer to the final of the Champions League. Uh, Bex is coming back to Old Trafford. What do you think of the draw? Kind of had to happen, didn't it? Uh, Beckham said this week, I'd really love to go back to Old Trafford. I, I can't wait for the draw. And, and there you go. I was just waiting for it. A- along with Mourinho going back to Chelsea, uh, to the the two you know, leading stories of, of this draw. So, yep, uh, United play away at Milan on February the 16th. The return legs on March the 10th. Really odd uh, split of the, the games this year. The UEFA have split them across eight nights in order to maximise TV coverage, I guess. Uh, so yeah, we have, we have sort of a three-week gap between the games. Yeah, and um, I must say, I'm as a kind of TV football fan, I'm quite pleased about that because there's going to be some good stuff to watch. There should be, yeah. I think there's some interesting, interesting ties there. Um, United, uh, I think when uh, we showed when we quite easily beat uh, Inter last season, uh, should be a step ahead of of uh, AC, who, who've had their problems this season as well. They have had their problems, though. I've got that slightly uncomfortable feeling of like oh god what if everything all the places they've definitely got some talent Pato's looking really good and you know there's you can imagine us having a bad day, them having a good day. It wouldn't be good, but we're definitely a better side than Milan. You know, it's it's definitely. But then, by no stretch of the imagination, the weakest team to finish second in a group, are they? Um, if we no. if we had finished second in our group, incidentally, we would have been drawn against Sevilla, and I think Sevilla are a much better side than Milan, aren't they? Uh, yeah, Sevilla have have, uh, have been really good this season. Uh, they've got uh, they've got financial problems, as do a number of clubs in Spain at the moment. But yeah, yeah, they're a really good side, and uh, glad we have them and um, you know Milan are perfectly beatable yeah perfectly beatable and and that second leg at home thing's huge isn't it you know it's really significant well when we last played them and and they beat us in the the semi-final uh 2007 um uh, we really got turned over on the the way leg and uh, came second so i think it's important that we're old trafford second that's um, and of course that was one of those games though that's like that was like the champions league final this year it's just one of them times when Manchester United are inexplicably dreadful. Yes, and I'm sure it won't happen again. I, I, I mean, so, I mean, um, we were talking about the media earlier. There was an interesting blog on The, the Guardian, as you mentioned, uh, on uh, Ferguson's tactical innovations uh, in the 2000s or the noughties. Right. Um, uh, starting with the, the game United lost 3-2 to Real Madrid, where Redondo sort of backheeled it through Henningberg's legs, and, and uh, Madrid raced to a 3-0 lead, and then United came back to 3-2, and York's header was saved in the last minute, and all, all of that, you know, classic game, uh, and and how he's since then moved away from a straight four four two to you know evolving four three three four five one, and 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 of course United have this fantastic away record in Europe these days, uh, uh, just you know get beaten so infrequently, um, and it's because we're you know tactically sound. I mean, not going to park the bus, but keep the ball, and uh, I think we'll do do all right. And you know, I'm sure Ferguson would be happy coming away from uh, Milan with a score draw. Yeah, oh, that'd be a phenomenal result, wouldn't it? I mean, anytime you can gore away in Europe's obviously very significant. It's a very, it's an interesting draw all around. There's some pretty exciting ties. Leon versus Real Madrid um, probably comes third in the tie of the round to uh, Inter Milan versus Chelsea. Jose's going home. That's uh, that's going to be really interesting. Never has a manager so much probably wanted to be the manager of the other club in a tie like that. 
Right, and and all the fans probably think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every it's probably not a Chelsea fan that doesn't want him back, and not too many Inter fans that don't want him out. He's having a pretty torrid time, despite being top of the league and through to the next round of the Champions League. Right, they hate him. Yeah, and he's he's been really irritable with the media and other managers. And of course, he fell out with Ancelotti last season, so that'll be interesting on the touchline, won't he? He had a massive pop at. Did you hear the story about him having a massive pop at a journalist in a press conference? Um, not not a journalist, but some guy was taking notes. Um, yeah. and he just flipped out at him physically and mentally abusive or whatever it was yeah nice he probably said um, something about you know different sorts of eggs and you know classic Jose isms uh, they're, they're always classic um, one, one other thing I wanted to talk about David Beckham's return to Old Trafford so what, what kind of reception do you think you get I, I, normally returning players get a good reception unless it's uh, special circumstances like Ince went to Liverpool so he was hardly likely to get a, a good reception but for the most part they have and I, I think Beckham will get a good reception obviously the, some of the fanzines dubbed him Liar 23 just... well, the controversy about um, how he pretended that he didn't want to move and he hadn't been negotiating and in fact, they didn't seal the deal months beforehand. And, and look, that's that's how football works. And his relationship had broken down with Ferguson. Ferguson was happy to lose him. Madrid wanted him for the marketing dollars. And uh, yeah, but uh, and and he 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 kind of had to go because of that. And you know, but but at the same side uh, time, he clearly hasn't lost any love for the club. I mean, he still talks about um, United as being his club. So. Did you see him celebrate a goal that I can't remember? It was a few weeks ago, some Champions League match. He was in the crowd. He went flipping ballistic. When we scored you know he's a united fan he has been his whole life he's he was an absolutely like whatever you think about the circumstances in of his leaving which by the way has that classic taste of assumed knowledge you know a lot of people who weren't in any way involved assume that they know the full story that happened there you know it's it's that thing that kind of um we as football fans do so well where we kind of assume we know the whole picture just because you know we think we do and we don't and currently you've got a poll up on united around 89% of the uh, people that have voted that poll say they're going to cheer rather than jeer beckham on his return and and you know united are not a spiteful club are they i mean okay so maybe there was some some kind of bad PR moves on his leaving but he was obviously not wanted at the club anymore and I think I think he was pretty heartbroken by not being wanted by Sir Alex who'd been like a dad to him you know it's uh, and and he put in some incredible performances in a Man United shirt and you know his relationship with the fans when the England fans all turned on him was just tremendous and typical Man United and I, I you know I, I look look forward to seeing him back at Old Trafford and I, I'm pretty sure he'll get a good reception would you be surprised if he got booed I, I would I, I'd be surprised I, I, it just doesn't happen I mean United fans don't boo their own and, and he is one of he is one of our own um, and I'm sure he'll get a good reception I just hope he doesn't stick the ball in the top corner from a free kick <laughs> <laughs> that would be a little bit unfortunate, wouldn't it? I, yeah. I suspect he'd probably do that thing of not celebrating when really you know that he just wants to go nuts because he's just scored an amazing goal. But he's like, oh no, I have to act like I'm not delighted here. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Agent Beckham, you know your you know your role. <laughs> yeah. Top corner, but the wrong top corner. And by the way, the the big tie of the round, of course, in the next round of European competition, Liverpool versus Unirea Urzicheni. Hey, it'll be a tough tie for them. They're, they're Champions League failures too. <laughs> 
Oh, Liverpool, bless. Oh, I know. And and the worrying thing is, you know, in the in the countryside surrounding Liverpool, where coverage of Channel Five is kind of patchy, they won't be able to see the game. It's a shame. They they might Colin Murray, of course, a Liverpool fan. He'll be delighted to have him on Channel Five. Yeah, he he'll get a few more viewers, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, Ed. It's been fantastic rant casting with you. We'll uh, try and do this slightly sooner. We've been on a bit of a random schedule recently due to how real life is complicated. It's quality, not quantity. Absolutely. See you next week sometime. Good night.